Welcome to the London Photo Festival podcast series. Today we're joined by Beth Taubner, founder of Mercury Lab. Beth is a transformational brand strategist and creative director who has worked with a number of companies, including the AOP, the Photography Show, Palm Springs Photo Festival, as well as individual photographer clients. Over the next six episodes, we'll be talking about the art and business of you, a guide to defining your brand, creating your tools and succeeding in your photography career in today's world. Each week, we will discuss a different topic, providing you with the building blocks to help you navigate your way through the current changing landscape. So welcome to the London Photo Festival podcast series. So this is episode three of our series, The Art and Business of You. We'll be discussing the visual you with no visuals. Welcome back to the show, Beth. Hi, Emma. It's really nice to be here again with you today. Just to give the audience an idea of what we're going to be covering today, I'm going to talk a bit again about creating work that's rooted in your attributes, how you reach the audience, and how the audience experiences you, what it is to be a storyteller, the story of you, and how that relates to the visual you. We'll talk a little bit about artist analysis, so that will help you to understand how artists in other fields have attributes that give you a way of understanding your attributes. And we're gonna really talk about how to edit, how to approach your editing, whether it is for your portfolio or your website, and how to do that from an attribute perspective. So you've, you've just mentioned attributes and also um, in podcast one, which is who you are, we also spoke about attributes. So just as, as a reminder for, for the audience, how does one marry attributes with capabilities to create a brand? Well, the first thing is to understand what an attribute is. An attribute is a trait. Now, because most people tend to le lead with their capabilities, that's the facts, the make or do, they get there first and then they have to kind of back into their attributes, which are the traits, which is the personality of your brand. So for an artist, a visual artist, or any kind of creative person, that's always going to be a mixture of the things you know about yourself already and going more deeply into yourself to kind of understand the family background, which is where a lot of our key attributes live. And then um, I say it's all about the parts you don't know about yourself, not just the parts that you do know. So in our first um, episode, I gave the audience an exercise to do to help to bring their attributes to the surface. And I'm just going to offer up this exercise again because it's so important. So what you're going to do is get yourself a journal and you're going to talk to yourself in a very non-judgmental way about the following three topics. You're gonna to do this exercise as a free association exercise with no judgment. You're going to talk about how you feel about your career, how you feel about your creativity, and how you feel about where your business is right now. It's very critical that you kind of cocoon yourself into this exercise so that you put yourself in a physical space that doesn't stimulate your worry about your career or your worry about how your business is going, particularly at this time. Mm -hmm. So do that exercise twice, a few days apart, 
and it's an hour each time, a real hour, a solid hour. And you're going to find that when you do this exercise, that after you'll be able to go back to your writing and kind of highlight aspects of what you think your attributes are, because you're making space for the attributes to rise to the surface. So that is critical to do before you can start working with your visuals because the attributes are at the core of the visuals, right? So if you understand what people would call the personality of your brand, what I'm saying though is that the personality is not just the superficial things like I'm friendly or I'm logical or I'm organized. You really have to be able to dig in to get to the meaning level of who you are. Now, I would say it's a little bit psychological in nature, so do your best with it. Remember to write without judgment. Now, the family attribute I've found is always the key attribute. And so many of us have not really examined our family traits in depth. Remember, an attribute is a trait. Mm -hmm. Describe your best friend to yourself. Describe your business partner. Describe your Uncle Joe. That will educate you as to how to get to your own attributes. So that is the first thing to do if you have not yet done it before you start relating to your shooting in a new way and, you, and then being able to go on to edit. So the other thing I talked about in our last uh, podcast was to work on brand analysis. And I gave the audience an exercise to um, look at the brand landscape, whether it's local mm -hmm. or national or global brands, and break down what their attributes and capabilities are because they always work together. So if you're going to look at Liberty of London, what does it feel like? What are their attributes? And what do they make or do? And then you can look at them alongside someone like Primark because Primark offers and sells many of the same things as Liberty of London, but it's not the same brand. No, not the same price either. <laughs> <laughs> and we go to each one for different reasons. Correct. <laughs> so I would like to add to that brand analysis exercise, another brand analysis exercise, which is more visual in nature. I ask my clients, because I work with so many photographers and filmmakers and fine artists, I like them to analyze artists, filmmakers, photographers, photographers who are not living. So it's, you're not analyzing the competition in this exercise. I want you to try to get to the attributes of other artists so you can understand the patterns in their work. So now we're delving deeper into something that can help you understand the artistic voice, the creative voice. Now, one thing that I used to ask, this is my trick question that I would ask when I was teaching, when I used to teach uh, at Art Center College of Design on, um, on the West Coast in California, which is a really, really great design and photography school. And I would always say in a workshop, who has been the most influential portrait artist? So no matter what, someone would raise their hand and they would say, Irving Penn. Now, Irving Penn was influenced by painters. He didn't come, you know, full blown into his own aesthetic 
without having been incredibly informed by the world of artists around him. So the answer to this question is Rembrandt. It's not Irving Penn. Right. So what are Rembrandt's attributes and capabilities? So his capabilities are, what's the first thing we think of? We think he's a painter. Mm -hmm. But in fact, what is so interesting is he's the person who really brought etching into being an accepted art form. And that's what he was known for before he became a painter. Mm -hmm. He was a printmaker as well, wasn't he? Very successful printmaker. So what would you say his attributes are? Do you want to throw one out there, Emma? Um, I don't know much about Rembrandt. Um, he was, uh, as I say, he was a printmaker. He was quite uh, influenced by religion, wasn't he? He was quite religious. Excellent. Yes, he was very religious and he knew the Bible very well. And he would bring that insight into his paintings, which is one thing that made him very popular. So very knowledgeable man, very educated man. Mm -hmm. One thing that I find about his portraits is that they're very humane. He's not judging the sitter. He's a person who was not making everyone pretty. He was very interested in showing people as they are, which is, think about portraiture today, photographic portraiture. There are some artists who are not really interested in making the sitter look glamorous. And that comes from this line of portrait painting. Another aspect of his work is how powerfully he used light and shadow. So frequently the face or the head and shoulders would be coming out of a dark background with very beautiful side light. Another convention that's used in photographic portraiture and the work is very intimate. Mm -hmm. And then think about the palette. Now the palette, we could think of as a marriage of attributes and capabilities, right? Because the, the palette is an element that you have to deploy when you're talking about how you see. And so his palette tends to be quite monochromatic and, and at the same time dramatic. Now this I'm giving to you very topically, but I feel that if you were to now sit down and look at Rembrandt, you would be able to apply those attributes to the paintings. You would say, right, I get it. This is what it feels like. This is how he's expressing himself to the world. Does, does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Then I thought I could talk briefly about another painter, which is, um, Matisse. Now, I am obsessed with Matisse. <laughs> when I was a child growing up in New York, my mother would take me to the Museum of Modern Art and we would go through the floor of all the 19th and 20th century painters. And I was just waiting, waiting, waiting to get to the Matisse room because there was a room that was Matisse only. And his very famous painting, The Red Room, was in there, which I don't know if you know, where, you know, there's kind of the sketch of all of the furniture but the whole canvas is red yeah and it was so joyful for me and I've been very influenced by Matisse in my own work when we do design work in my studio so here I'm already talking about something that's a signature which is strong color and in that red room 
are the flattened forms. That is very typical of his work. It's almost poster-like. It's, it's not an accurate depiction. It's not dimensional in the way that Rembrandt is. He's a very different painter. Mm-hmm. The work is extremely patterned and decorative. You know, when we're talking about him as a painter long before he became, did all the cutouts, there's layer upon layer of, of pattern that somehow is wildly disparate, but really works together. Generally applied to women, really obsessed with the female form. And uh, there's no sense of, uh, it's because it's flattened. You don't know what's the foreground and what's the background. So very inventive, very filled with life. And then he's the person who's really using new mediums as he gets older. So as he becomes, you know, riddled with arthritis and he can't paint anymore. He develops this intense collaboration with someone who comes to work with him in his studio, a young woman, and he goes into the last great renaissance of his career. So now if you look at Matisse, you can say, right, I understand how his capabilities and the repetitive patterns in his work. And I'm going to talk about this in terms of our audience. Mm-hmm. So both of these artists, these great artists, had repetitive patterns in their work over the lifetime of their work. And as I have studied artists and studied art history and studied the history of photography, you're going to find the same thing. And that's part of the brand. When I talk about the brand, I'm talking about it as an umbrella but I'm talking about all of these elements that make us who we are and different from the artist or person next to us. So I would like you to do that exercise. Now I'm adding that to the work that you're going to be putting into your journal. You're going to be looking at artists or photographers who are not late 20th century photographers. Okay, remember that we're working towards the peak attributes. We're pushing past the comfortable attribute. The comfortable attribute is the default attribute. That's the one I say, it's like getting into your favorite pair of jeans. It's the one that we wiggle into every morning that's most natural to us. Attributes are used in groups to give bigger scope to your voice. So that's what we've been talking about here with Matisse and Rembrandt, so you are no different. Once you have these attributes, you're gonna be able to use them more consciously in how you shoot, how you edit, how you present, how you market, how you do your social media. Now I have a tool that I would like to share with the audience, which is something that I work on with my clients, but I don't even use when I'm giving webinars because it's really a power tool and I'd like to give it to you. So it's what I call a brand target. Now I'm gonna talk about it, but it's much better for you to see it so that you can use it. And we will be posting a link on our website, which is mercurylab.com. That's M-E-R-C-U-R-Y-L-A-B.com. And what this- Sorry, I was just going to say that we'll post up that link as well for everybody to, to have access to. Yes. So this will really help you as a visual reference. This brand target will show you very clearly 
how you work out from the center of the target to the audience. So how you and your attributes move towards the audience. And going back to what we talked about in episode one, what's out there is the audience perception. And maybe it's right and maybe it's wrong. And this target explains how you build upon your attributes and where you get hung up along the way of clearly communicating who you are to the audience out there. The other aspect that the brand target shows you is what happens in terms of how the audience finds you. Because you always have to remember it's a two-way street. If you're going to passively sit there and wait for the audience to find you, you're going to be out of business. It is going to be waiting a long time. I have this discussion with young people that I work with and they say, well, I posted my resume and I say, but are you checking every day to see what job opportunities there are on the sites that you've posted on? And you know what, Emma, they don't do it. And then they say, oh, but nothing's happened. So I know our audience is smarter than that. So this is important. You're going out from the attributes and the attributes married with the capabilities are how you shoot and what you shoot. And coming out of there, the next piece is how you edit. And then you're applying it to all kinds of other tools. So we're gonna stay at the center of the target today which is you've worked on your attributes, so you understand your attributes. And now we're going to talk about the patterns in your shooting. So the first thing that I want you to do, I'm gonna back up for one second to say that what you'll see from the brand target is how your actions have to be in alignment with the core brand. Because what I find when people come to me, and I, as I think I said in our, our last meeting, that there tend to be very specific places where the artists get hung up. And so you will be able to see in the brand target, where are the places that you're most likely to do well or get hung up. And so one place that people get hung up is, ta-da, editing. That's the first big hang up. And why, why is that? First of all, it's because they're not coming from an attributes place. But the next issue is all about having this emotional relationship with the work. And so because we tend to feel so emotionally attached, we have no blueprint that allows us to step back and be more analytical. How many times I've heard from my clients, well, you know, I, I didn't really like the client. The client wasn't that nice. So I hated the shoot. Or the model was awkward and didn't take direction well. Or I went there to solve a specific technical problem that I've been working on and that didn't work out the way I wanted it to, so that wasn't good. Or I had a terrible headache that day, so I hate the shoot. I can tell you that I've probably heard this a thousand times. <laughs> and 
what happens is then you have no actual accurate barometer of your work because you're seeing it through such an emotional lens. And then I say, well, let's look at the work together. And usually we're looking at the work in the process, like in this big initial discovery day that I do with them. You know, we talk, 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 and then we look at work. And I've had them prepare their work the same way I'm going to tell the audience to look at their work. And I am fascinated to see that very frequently they have no idea where they've done a successful shoot and where they've done an unsuccessful shoot. So I want to encourage the audience to move back from this intense emotional judgment that they have about the work and really judge it from the attribute and capability perspective to say, okay, you know, I'm, you know, I'm really good in the studio. I'm a great still life photographer. I have a really beautiful sense of form. And then what are my attributes? Maybe my attributes are that, you know, my work feels very streamlined. Maybe my work is um, very joyous and upbeat. And that's how you start to build the brand, right? And then that tells you this is how I should be editing. And then you look at the work in relation to the attributes and capabilities and you must put the emotion aside. That's one thing. The other issue that I see is habitual editing. And habitual editing is because we love our default attribute. That is where the problem is. Because the attribute that we're most familiar with is where we tend to shoot and edit in a very compressed way. Is, does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So what happens with this default attribute, that's the attribute at the bottom of your pyramid, you know, you have your business attribute and then the next attribute up is this attribute that you love so much. So I find that people like to edit just to that one attribute. So that is like Dullsville. It is not interesting <laughs> for the viewer yeah you know and it doesn't give the whole range of who you are so if all we talked about with Rembrandt is that his work was dramatic and monochromatic we, we would want to kill ourselves yeah you know that's not the whole story without that sense of humanity and intimacy in the work would he have been you know, in engaging with that so fully, he is a master. Yeah, you want and to that, have that emotional connection, don't you, with the, when you see a, a picture? Yes. So we are the same. Current artists are the same way. So you have to be very, very mindful of that, that habitual image because you're going to take that image that you're going to take that attribute, that habitual attribute, and you're going to want it to be the center of every picture you conceive and every picture you edit. So I want to encourage you, because you will have been working on a group of attributes in your writing, to, to shoot and edit to the group of attributes. I want to make sure that's clear. Because without doing that, what I'm going to talk about next is not going to work. 
Okay, <laughs> got to do the work. <laughs> you have to do the work and you have to be really, really honest with yourself. Remember I said you're writing about the good, the bad and the ugly. You're not going on a blind date. That is not what you're doing when you're writing. You <laughs> I don't know, it sounds like a blind date. <laughs> <laughs> you like that? Um, okay, so the next thing that I would like you to do is you're going to start by pulling out three projects or stories that you think are successful. Now, when I say successful, I do not mean good or bad. So just like your brand writing, you're approaching it without judgment. So these are three of your projects or? You, the artist. You, okay, yeah. Photographer. Yeah, not my projects. I've already gone through that process. <laughs> um, I, I have my own issues in editing. <laughs> we all do. <laughs> and sometimes I need, it is very interesting because I'm, there's something I'm gonna be putting up on the website soon where, um, I didn't have a good experience. You know, I wasn't so happy. Um, but in retrospect, what was interesting is that someone who's worked with me for many years, when I said, well, I think I'm gonna put this project on the new website, she said, I'm so happy because that's really one of my favorite projects that you've ever done. And because I was so focused on the emotion, I couldn't see it. You couldn't see past that. Yeah, interesting. And now when I look at it through a different prism, I can see how beautiful the project is. It's yeah, great. Got, yeah, you've got to get over your own emotions, don't you? As we would say, you have to get over yourself. Get over yourself, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so you're going to pull out three projects or stories that you think are successful. So successful means not good or bad. It means that you were able to meet the criteria that you set, you, not the client, you, the artist, set for the shoot. And I don't want you to just take out your selects. I want you to take out the whole entire shoot. And of course, you've probably, you know, edited in Bridge or wherever you like to edit, but you will have ranked those images. So you'll have five star, four, three, two, one, right? So don't just look at the five star because the five star may have been chosen without a consciousness of your attributes and where you've been looking at your default attribute. Okay, so you're gonna take those three projects and let's put them to the side for the moment. Then you're going to pull out three projects or stories that you feel are unsuccessful. This is a big one, right? Because you get really, really churned up when you start to think about the ones that are unsuccessful. At least this is what I've seen with my clients. Now, what you're going to do is you're going to go into those shoots and you're going to do another pull. You're going to do a new pull because you will have been working on your writing and you'll have said to yourself, okay, this is a very broad group of my attributes. I, I won't lie to you, Anna, Emma, in saying that it's easy without working with someone else to drill down into the perfect three or four attributes. But you can get to a broad sense mm -hmm. of what the attributes are. And I want you to go through and do a huge pull, not an edit, do a pull that you feel talks to all the facets of your attributes and put them in a folder, okay? 
put them aside for the moment. Now, what I do when I'm working with my clients, I don't do all three that I think are successful at once and all three that I think are unsuccessful. I go from a successful to an unsuccessful, then back to a successful, because going through the projects in this way is very, very emotional for mm -hmm. the artist. So try to do it without judgment and try to do it without bringing your feelings in. Like that is the unsuccessful shoot, you're gonna look at it and you're gonna say, boy, I hated that. I didn't get paid enough for that job for the 12 shots I had to do in six hours. You have to get past all that, okay? Use your brand analysis skills to assess the work because you will have been working on your brand analysis. You start with your brand analysis out in the world before you get to your own analysis. So you will have been training yourself to be more analytic about the work. Okay, so here's another thing that I want you to be looking at when you're looking at your three successful shoots and three unsuccessful shoots. I want you to look at the visual patterns. How do you tend to frame things? How are you using kind of what I say is deploying the language of photography. So it's color, it's negative and positive space, it's uh, light, um, feeling. Let's say th these are the general tools that you're looking at. So at the patterns that you're looking at, this has to be part of how you're looking at these six projects. I just want to make sure that I'm making this clear because you're going to start to see a lot of patterns in your shooting that are very, very repetitive. I have one very successful photographer, filmmaker that I have been working with, I think since 2006. And if he were sitting next to me, he would say to you, Every time I speak to him, I say, why is that person in the center of the frame? You're killing me. That's what I say. <laughs> I say, you know, why? What is your reason for putting that person in the center of the frame? There's nowhere to go in the edit. Like, I remember when Martin Scholler was really, you know, shooting a tremendous amount of portrait portraiture. You, do you know his work? Um, I'm not familiar with it, no. He, I think he's originally German and he assisted Annie Leibovitz for a long time. And then he went out on his own many years ago. And he, is, he was doing every famous politician. I think he was doing the cover of Time every single week, something like that. So he had been very influenced by Bernd and Hilda Becker the fine artists who would put things in grids and there were always the water towers. So that's how he worked. So it was very clear that there was a very strong fine art influence. And when he presented the work as a grid, that syncopation in the edit made a lot of sense because he said, this is how I see, this is how I do it. So I just said something important. It's how I see and how I do it. It's who I am, my attributes combined with my skills. So 
I find him a really interesting person to think about because he was so clear in his voice. And then after many years, he started to veer off into doing some other things. So you need to look at patterns in your own work. What are the patterns? Are you always putting someone in the middle of the frame? Why? Why are you making these choices? So I want you to bring that into how you're looking at these six projects. Okay, because you're going to find maybe you have one pattern, which would definitely not make us happy. No. <laughs> maybe you have a number of patterns. So that's another thing that you want to note when you're editing. So you're noting the attributes mixed with the structure of the photograph. I just want to make sure that that's clear mm -hmm. because you cannot unhinge the two elements yep. it's not yep. possible. So we learned that in episode one. Now, when I'm talking about these stories or projects, it doesn't matter whether they're commissioned or something that you generated yourself. Because if it's a, a, a story that you like to tell that's part of a big body of work, that is going to be really fascinating for the audience. One of my clients um, was shooting the Asian race car scene. It's like a hidden part of culture in, I think it was on the West Coast. So that's fantastic. And that was a self-generated pro uh, project that he worked on for a long time, which we were able to work into the larger voice of his portfolio and mm -hmm. his website. Okay. So once you've educated yourself with these six stories, you can look at the rest of your work in light of the same structure I've given you. Okay, once you do that, you're going to have the components of the edit, the attributes, the understanding of your capable, capabilities and skills, your understanding of the patterns in your work, the visual patterns, projects you've done as stories, and more singular images that you can put together to tell a story. Now, I'm suggesting that you start with your portfolio edit because I find that it's more straightforward than a web edit. Now, I know a lot of people are going to say, well, you don't need a portfolio anymore, but I do not find that to be the case. If you have an agent or want an agent, you need a portfolio because at the higher end of the market, people are still showing books. They're a very important tool. I say that they're like precious objects. Yeah. And I've been on enough panels and talked to enough art directors and art buyers, and they like the, the physical experience of being able to see a book. Now that's not true during this pandemic, of course, but that will come around again because you can't always get the whole feeling through the digital platform. But now, if you're just starting out or if you're, you know, new and emerging, you might not have a, a vast portfolio. So you would have to start perhaps with a website or your Instagram page, perhaps something like that. Or I, I think that's true. I think you can, I think you should always have a little website up no matter what, because it's your shop front. Even if it's a tiny little 20 picture edit, I think that it's a valuable thing to do because people are, go are going to go there. You know, 
in terms of who, how people use the website and the social media, I will get into that mm -hmm. a little bit more later on in our series, but it tends to be in many ways separated in terms of age and demographics. And so frequently a commissioner who is kind of a more analog commissioner is not going to go to your Instagram first. No. They're going to go to the website. So when you're thinking about editing your portfolio, because some of our photographers will be doing that, I like to you to think of it as a piece of music so that there's a beautiful way of traveling through the edit. What are the high notes? What's the pattern of the music? It will help you to keep the feeling of the edit moving along so you don't get stuck on images that you are attached to. And even when I'm editing, I'm getting ready to start an edit for a client, a big edit um, tomorrow, I'm doing the same thing because I also have images that I love in their work and I cannot get attached. And I will say in my experience, I've been editing for so many years, I always have to remove a picture that I love the most because it will not work in the aggregate. And that's what you have to be looking at in your editing. What is the aggregate of the story, the feeling, the pattern of how the images come together and not be invested in your favorite images for all the reasons we've discussed. Photographers and agents at the higher end of the market, I'm just going to remind you, do show books at the book and kind of industry events. So you do want to be working towards having a book because you will want to be able to go to portfolio reviews. Eventually they won't just be online. Okay, now I'm gonna move on to the website. Now, the website may not have the same edit as the book. It can be related, but not identical. So how do you make it user-friendly? That's the first thing. How should the work be grouped in order to lead the audience through this authentic story of who you are and how you shoot? Maybe it will be organized the same way as the portfolio, maybe not. How much material should you show? There is no hard rule because I have found that people in the audience always ask me, should there be 20 pictures, 30 pictures? I can't say. I always know when I'm at the end of the edit. When you are starting to be too repetitive in the edit, then you're going to know that you have to get out of there. Mm -hmm. Because I find that in general, I will do a longer edit, edit for the portfolio and a shorter edit, but a multi multiple edits for the website. So for a young photographer, maybe there's one edit on the website, but maybe they're also doing personal projects that are not gonna be part of the whole edit and they wanna break those off. I find that you have to really sit and study your images in order to really understand how to structure your website edit. I don't find it to be very straightforward because I want to really figure out what is the higher story. With the portfolio, we know Oh, you're going to go and show it to so-and-so at Vogue. You're going to go and show mm -hmm. it to so-and-so at a pharmaceutical company. Or, you know, your agent is going to be meeting with those people. 
But with our website, we don't have that level of control. Right. Open to the world. And so how can we really tell the story? We have to put our sh ourselves into the shoes of the audience. So the audience is, as I will say, not monolithic. It's the people who know your work already and who already have a perception and an opinion about you, right? Going back to what the brand is, perception, reputation, relationship, and then the facts. So you have those relationships already and then those who don't know you at all. So go back to the person I talked about in episode one, who was a portrait photographer who started doing, had the good sense to go around and tell people in his area that he could do still life for them. But they didn't know him in that way. So you have to be able to tell that story on the website as well. So the other thing is there's the frame of the website itself. It's not just the photographs. It's what is the hierarchy of the website? What is the menu? How is it organized? How to make it, again, user-friendly. Generally, I find that when I'm working with people, I, I change the structure of how their website is working because it has to be an enjoyable experience and it has to tell the story of your brand. So what are the other elements? There's design involved in a website. What is your logo type? Is there any color? You know, how do we want the images to display? All of those are part of your brand. You have to take the opportunity to use everything and not be afraid of design because the language of design is not the same language as the language of photography. And no, I find there's, there's a psychology behind both of them though, isn't there? Yes, and so the way to use design successfully is to work with your attributes. I found when I started in the business that every single person I met either had their logo type in Helvetica or copper plate. There was, it's as if there were, it's not the whole history of, of type design. No. <laughs> so I want you to think about that when you're working on your, on your website. So I think we've given a lot of instruction today about the visual you. We've talked again about what attributes are, how to marry attributes with your capabilities, doing brand analysis, looking at visual artists to help you understand how a visual artist constructs their quote unquote brand, right? We wouldn't use that word, but their voice, their visual voice. We talked about the brand target, which you can get at mercurylab.com or at the London Photo Festival, which will give you a clear understanding of the elements involved and how you reach the audience and how the audience reaches you. We've talked about how to pull out projects and stories that you think are successful and un unsuccessful, to move out of the way of doing emotional and habitual editing, to look at the patterns in your work and what they mean, and to realize that you can't just have one pattern in your shooting or editing and then how to approach your portfolio edit and your website edit. So it's a really comprehensive program for understanding your shooting because you'll understand how to shoot by understanding how you have been shooting and where you need to shift 
because you'll have a better understanding of your attributes. So you'll be able to open up the world of your shooting, thereby opening up the world of your edit and opening up the world of the tools, the visual tools that you're using. Yeah, so what we're trying to do, aren't we, throughout this podcast series is to give people a, a toolkit to help them be successful in, the, in their photography career. And we're halfway through with that. And thank you so much again. This has it's been absolutely fascinating and it's giving people that, um, yeah, the inf more information that they need. And I think in the next podcast series, which is going to be episode four, we're going to be talking about motion. And we're going to be talking about motion because I do find that many, many, many photographers, still photographers, are afraid of motion or they approach motion in a way that is not very filled with motion. It's very still. So I'm really looking forward to helping the audience understand a bit more about how to approach the motion world. Lovely. Thanks again, Beth. It's been fascinating talking to you. Thank you so much. Thank you. See you next time. This was a conversation with Beth Taubner about the fundamentals of brand meaning and creation for photographers and creatives, setting the stage for our podcast series to come on developing the tools to come to market with power, authenticity and success.